and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. We're going to go to a quick disclaimer and then we're going to come back and we're going to just jump right on in uh, to tonight's show. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. Again, my name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So (laughs) what can I say? Uh, Republicans... We had some gains uh, nationwide. Uh, It wasn't all gloom and doom, but certainly there were there were you know disappointments. That's undeniable. But I don't think that we did as poorly as well. Some Republicans are saying, um, and, and certainly not as poorly as some Democrats are saying. I I think that the issue is is that there was all this hype, right? There was all this hype uh, about a red wave, red tsunami. And what I have found, and it's not just in this country, I think it's a people thing. Um, Now, a lot of you who've been listening to me for a while, you know that I don't just follow local politics. I don't just follow local and state politics. I don't just follow local, state, and national politics. I follow international politics. So, of course, some things are particular to one country versus another, or maybe one region, one part of the world versus another. Uh, You know, maybe some countries in a certain part of the world will share a lot of uh, ideas uh, they'll share a lot of the same uh, philosophies, uh, and, and they'll have a lot of uh, the same criteria, um, standards by which they judge what is successful and what is not successful. Having said all that, uh, there's certain things that are universal, and I think that, particularly in politics, that is true. And so a lot of times you have, after you know, party X is in power and uh, espouses a certain brand of politics, you're going to have, after a certain period of time, the pendulum shift. And then the the party that uh, promotes the, the opposite, uh, or not even necessarily the opposite, but just offers somewhat of an alternative, even, uh, even a small shift— that party is going to uh, take take power, uh, rise to power. So it, it's very much, it's people shift, 
that there's that pendulum that's uh, usually uh, in motion uh, from one side to the other. It doesn't normally stop right in the middle. It doesn't normally stop uh, at one uh, in one part of a, a particular uh, end of the spectrum. It just kind of goes from back to forth. And I just, I think right now the pendulum is <laughs> on the other side of, uh, of the spectrum, and that's just what it is. Uh, having said that, I do think that we have uh, the Republicans. I think we had some, I think we had some important gains, um, but it just, again, because of the hype, it's, you know, it, it comes across or it, it seems like a disappointment. Now, obviously, it would have been wonderful, I think, if there had been a red tsunami or at the least uh, there had been uh, better results for the U.S. Senate. But we're looking, I have to, I have to go and check, but I think we're looking fairly good for the House. So I think Republicans will uh, regain that majority if we haven't already. Um, and then we we've had some other important gains. I think, you know, state by state, and and so I just again I think that the expectations were just so high that anything less was going to be a disappointment. But of course, in Massachusetts, we <laughs> we had. What was, I think, a particularly bad uh, election cycle. And so any kind of red wave on whatever scale, whether it was more, uh, whether it was a tsunami or whether it was more, I I started to say, um, I'm looking for the right word, uh, a a red trickle (laughs) Uh, or anything in between, Massachusetts really wasn't going to be impacted for the better because, you know, as I've been saying week after week, and this really does bear reiteration, we're quite frankly right now, the Republican Party, we're in complete shambles. And I think we've been going downhill for quite some time. And the reason why I'm devoting so much of Bostonian rap to discuss in this because I think that we are at a point where the lack of political diversity has come to affect adversely people's quality of life. It's become that bad. And so we have an exodus that has taken place. So it's not just down to the exorbitant cost of living, because Massachusetts is a very expensive place to live. Uh, I understand that Boston just overtook uh, San Francisco, so it's now the second most expensive rental market in the country. And that's disturbing because, you know, necessarily what happens in Boston, then there's there's this ripple effect. And that's not to say that the other parts of the state aren't very important, too. Of course they are. Every part 
of <laughs> the Commonwealth. Every every one of our municipalities is is very very important. But what I'm trying to say is that Boston, as the capital and as the engine, the primary engine, economic engine of the Commonwealth and arguably of New England. It's this is not good news. And so there's going to be this great ripple effect. And when you couple, as I said, the astronomical cost of living with the lack of political diversity, that's enough for people to vote, but with their feet. And that's what people have start have started to say. And and that's really sad. And that's really sad that people feel that they're not being heard because that's what it comes down to. People feel like they're not being heard. Now, as I said previously, as I've said repeatedly, you know, of course, there are some Democrats who are absolutely lovely. They're just, they're wonderful. They're great public servants, uh, whether they're actually holding public office or not. Uh, you know, because, of course, there are different ways to, to, to publicly serve. Uh, but whether they're holding public office or not, they're just, they're wonderful. And they, they try to be inclusive. They try to be respectful. They try to be civil. Having said that, it, it's still nice to see your voice and some of the, I don't even want to say values, but some of the positions that you hold, it's nice to see them being represented by someone who is holding public office or by someone who may not be holding public office but is, is nevertheless a prominent figure. So it's, it's tough. It's tough right now. So, again, I don't think that re- Republicans nationwide, I don't think we did as poorly as it's being said. I just think that there was just too much hype. And I think that if we maybe would have looked at things a little bit more objectively, if we had not put too much stock into inflation and the shortage of food and the I mean don't get me wrong those are incredibly important issues and I just got through saying that the incredibly high cost of living is forcing people to flee the state because it it really is and it's not anything new it's just it's picked up right it's accelerated this movement this exodus from Massachusetts Um, but but in terms of the midterms, uh, the, the the mid-election, midterm elections, uh, I, I think that people had other issues against which they could weigh the economy. And trust me, I know that, <laughs> you know, it's, how shall I phrase this? What I'm going to say is, I know that when it comes to people's pocketbook, they they can really do an about face. You know, when it comes to messing with people's bottom line, they can become a completely different person. I, this I know. But I feel that maybe, 
just maybe the reality, the, 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 the difficulties, the hardships that people encounter every day versus some social issues, some of which have been, no pun intended, trumped up <laughs> and made much bigger than, than, than they are or have been perverted for political purposes. Uh, and, and, and just to speak to that, that particular point, what I'm going to say is that Republicans, we don't have anything to prove. You know, it's whether it's local, statewide, national, there's this, there's this instinctive need among so many Republicans to prove that they're good Republicans. I, I don't buy into that. If someone likes me, that's wonderful. If someone doesn't like me, that's pretty okay, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be disliked, and I want to be seen as affable and, and, and courteous and respectful. But what I'm trying to say is that I'm not here to prove something to someone who hasn't proven anything to me. So. I think Republican values are the best in the world for me, or the best, or shall I say, the best option for me. And I think that to have, I guess Charlie Baker's calling it a collaborative friction, uh, I call it a push and pull, uh, whatever you want to call it, I think that's, that, that's critical. That's critical because... As I said, it holds people accountable, and it's a way to make sure that people who hold public office are actually doing their job. But to get back to the point that I was trying, the, I guess the, the original point that I was trying to make is that I think that we could have done a better job at talking about those harsh realities of really just struggling, barely keeping our heads above water, our collective heads above water, so many of us, I think that we could have, I could, I think we could have juxtaposed that with what the Democrats were saying. I think we could have done a better job. I do. Because we can't, pretend what the Democrats are saying doesn't matter or that our point is better. Because even if you had some body, some magical body, I'll say, uh, of, of people that were nonpartisan, that were uh, undeniably... Um, somehow unbelievable, well, not somehow, but unbelievably nonpartisan. I, I think that, you know, they could look at something and say, okay, Republicans, you know, look at our argument and say, okay, Republicans made the better point. Even if this magical body uh, in this polarized <laughs> day and age, I, I'm going to say incredible, magical again, um, even if that, that body, that group of people were to say, you know what? You Republicans have made the better point. 
we still have to, I think, acknowledge what Democrats are saying. And I think that there's a way to go about it that shows that what they're trying to say is not as, it's not as, how shall I say, it's it's not as strong of a point. It's not um, as relevant of a point. And, and I just, I think we just need to do a better job at, at saying who and what we are and what we stand for. It's, I think that the economy should have been a winning, a winning argument. I do. But the Democrats were talking about abortion. And they were talking about hatred. And they were talking about bigotry. And they were talking about white supremacy. And we're over here talking about the economy. Well, the economy, we were doing it here in Massachusetts, too. And we were actually talking about the realities that everyday Americans, everyday Massachusetts residents are facing. The difficulties, as I said, the hardships, the struggles. Might even use the word battles. The Democrats were talking about abortion, and there was a better way, I think, for us to counter that argument. Certainly, the talk about hatred and bigotry and white supremacy, there there were much, much better ways to counter those arguments, uh, those accusations of bigotry. And, And we've just, we've got to learn how to do it. And part of learning or part of learning, part of, of, of actually doing that, that is countering what the Democrats are saying, when we are talking in particular about hatred and bigotry, is hold up a mirror. And even more importantly, hold up a mirror to, to, to some factions of the Democratic Party, but even more importantly is Republicans once and for all have to define who and what they are. So I'm going to come back to that point. And whether it's national, statewide, or local, we have to know who we are. Because once you know who you are, it's a lot more difficult for other people to define you. Now, don't get me wrong. They're going to try. But I don't see any reason for us to make it easy for the Democrats More often than not, Massachusetts Republicans in particular are are allowing themselves to be put on the defensive. We need to stop that. We need to stop that. And, you know, Jim Lyons, (laughs) Jim Lyons, uh, Jim Lyons doesn't understand any of this. I'm going to talk about more about Jim in just a bit, but we again, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to repeat this. We need to know who we are. We need to know what we stand for. We have people who are in no position to be wagging their fingers. Yet they are. 
we have those same people telling us who we are. Can you imagine? We have to stop that. We as Republicans. It's, it's so important that we find solutions to the problems that we have. It's so important that we continue to make progress. Whoever holds office, whoever holds, you know, whoever the, the dominant party is, it, it doesn't really matter. We always have to be moving forward. And while we ha- have made advances in some areas, across the board, we're not doing that. And, and one of the reasons, one of the main reasons, some people might even argue the primary reason, is because we don't have a lot of different ideas. We just simply don't. And so that's why I keep on talking about the need for us to be strong. That is the Republican Party and Republicans themselves. Because we have a seat at the table. We don't have to demand it. We are no better or no less than anybody else. So there's no reason why we can't pull up to any table and sit down and participate. We have ideas. We have a legacy. And we have something to contribute. And I want people to understand that while I am obviously a committed, staunch Republican, there's probably one thing that I just might be a little bit more committed to. And that is diversity of thought. And so even if I found myself very much in the majority, let's just say the scenario was switched. And so it was the Republican Party that found itself in the supermajority in Massachusetts. I would still be arguing for a stronger Democratic Party presence. I would. I really, truly would. Because, again, we're not like some places in different parts of the world where you have maybe three, four, five viable parties. We have two major political parties. And of course we have others. And I, and I don't mean to, to denigrate those parties, but we are, you know, the United States and, and the 50 states in this union Uh, You know, we are, all of us enjoy a two-party system. That's really what it comes down to. There are two major political parties with a lot of different minor parties or several minor parties or however many minor parties. Uh, We have some interesting ones in in Massachusetts. We even have one party that's, uh, it's called the Pirate Party. (laughs) Uh, I think I think it still exists, and then I think we have another party called the Pizza Party. Uh, it's it's really pretty wild, um, but yeah, <laughs> statewide, nationwide, uh, we are a two party system, and we have then other parties that are minor. Um, so we just, if we 
become, well, we have become, but if if we if we allow for this to continue a one party state, so I'm going to bring it back to Massachusetts. It's I just don't see how we can we can move forward. We just we really can't. We just we're we're just we're just going to get stuck. We just we, we can't find ourselves in a situation where we're all rolling in the same direction. That just doesn't work. And we've come to settle Republicans for a Democratic Party where there is someone who stands up and says, okay, I'm on the left and I'm a Democrat. And then another Democrat stands up and says, well, I'm a moderate. Because you're not going to meet too many Democrats who are going to call themselves conservatives, not in this political climate, because they're afraid of the the blowback. But the reality is there are a number of Democrats that are conservative, right? And I will say this, if the Republican Party could get its act together, a lot of those independents, a number of them, I think, even if they didn't necessarily become Republican. They would vote Republican much more often. And I think a lot of the Democrats are at least, a, 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 you know, a, a decent enough number to make some people raise their eyebrows would either become unenrolled or they would change their party affiliation to Republican. I do believe that. And I believe that because I talk to the people. I spend my time talking to the people. I meet them where they're at. I talk about where the people are. Because that's how I go about my life. That's how I move. I don't want to be in a room full of politicians, although that does happen on occasion. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't always feel comfortable. I don't know what to say. And I don't want to have to think about what I should say. I want to be around real people. People who aren't afraid of what they have to say, what they should say. That's not interesting to me. People who are trying to impress others. That, none, of that's, that, none of that gets, you know, like, it, none of that draws me in, excites me, interests me. I want to be around real people, where the people are. Uh, after all, it's after it's all said and done, and I hope that's not for a great many years yet. Uh, I'll want people to say that about me. You know, she she was about all about where the people are, because it's never going to be about anything else but the people, and that's why we need a two party system, really. And, you know, I said that Jim Lyons doesn't understand that, and he doesn't. He doesn't understand that. But it's, it's not because he's incapable. It's just because he ha- doesn't have an interest in it. That's not why he's chair. You know, some people are talking about how he has attempted to purge the party purge it from the moderates. And so in an exchange earlier today, it was just a quick exchange on Twitter. And by the way, you can follow me uh, 
Uh, I have, uh, you know, an account under my name, Rachel Meiselman, at Rachel Meiselman, written as one word, Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, Meiselman, M-I-S-E-L-M-A-M. And then I have a Twitter account for Bostonian Rap, Bostonian Rap, um, written as one word. And I don't have as many people (laughs) now who say, oh, I love rap, I love 50 Cent. It's like, yeah, this isn't, (laughs) it isn't. (laughs) <laughs> it's not that type of rap. I'm dating myself. Rap is in talk. <laughs> um, but yes, feel free to follow me uh, or at the very least engage with me, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, or even if you see me in the streets. And I have had people engage with me uh, on the streets, which is which is always very nice, as long as they're respectful, of course. Um but as I was saying, uh, I had, you know, a very brief Twitter exchange um, with uh, a political observer. Uh, and I think it was, it was Maurice Cunningham. And I, you know, I said, hey, look, the, <laughs> it's, it's not a battle with what has been happening with the Massachusetts party really it really the 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 schism within the party it really became undeniably apparent last year in 2021 but it is not about moderates versus conservatives or should i say you know Jim Lyons conservative versus Charlie Baker moderate that's not what it is, but that is how it's been framed. Uh, I don't see Jim Lyons and his allies as conservatives. One of the criticisms I have lobbed against Jim Lyons and his allies is this embrace of identity politics. And let me explain. If you are a person of color, and I happen to be a person of color, um, and you are a Republican Good for you. But that doesn't entitle you to special treatment, and nor should you feel like that's exactly what you should get because you are a person of color and you have an R after your name. I think that that's obnoxious, and I think that that's a tremendous insult to the legacy of our party, which looked at people of color, black people in particular, as individuals, as people, not as chattel, not as animals, but as people, and not as black people, as people. That was what stirred so many Republicans, particularly the radical Republicans, that's what stirred them to act, to speak out. Black people, they said, black people are human beings. This is not right. This is immoral, amoral even. Because you have people doing something and you say to yourself, and and I'm the last person to look at I don't want to look at a piece of history, you know, through the lens of today. But what I will say in this instance, 
I do think that I can get away with saying that there had to have been more than a few people who said to themselves, more than a few radical Republicans, certainly, who said, I can't imagine that there are people who don't understand that this is wrong, enslaving others, so they must be amoral, that they're unable to distinguish, so they're, they're total monsters. It's, we've gone from that, and without that movement, without that activity, without the risks that were incurred, without that intellectual and moral courage, our nation not only would not have lasted, but... Yeah, that's that's actually it. Our nation would not have lasted. It would not have have survived. It would not have survived an evil like slavery. It would not have. Not from an intellectual perspective and certainly not from a moral one. And if you look at successive chapters In the legacy, in the history of the Republican Party, there were a number of people that were given chances to rise up and and, and fully participate in this American society. I always joke that Republicans were the first social justice warriors. And and I really do feel like that in, in a lot of ways if you look at our history. And even if you look at what is happening today, there's still many Republicans, both locally and nationally, that are doing really great things. But that needs to get out there. And as I said, we need to do a better job at framing our arguments. We need to do a better job at saying who and what we are. And we just need to be doing a better job at getting out there and meeting people. Because we have let others define largely who and what we are, that extends then to what we believe that we can talk about and where we think we can go. Look, no one's going to tell me who and what I am. I think part of it derives from being mixed race and Jewish. And so a lot of people, and of course they're bigots, (laughs) want to tell me that I can't be Jewish and mixed race. You know, I've I've heard so many different things in my 50 years. It it really is quite something. But it's the idea that growing up and having people tell me, well, this doesn't make sense or this just can't be, that rather than Rather than break, uh, rather than ha- have broken me, that like that, it didn't break me. Rather, it, it helped build me up, because I said to myself, "Well, at an early age, I had to to kind of make that decision. Who's going to define Rachel Meiselman? Who's going to say who and wh- wh- what Rachel Meiselman can say and what she can do?" 
The Republican Party's got to reach both nationally, but particularly locally, statewide. It's it's got to it's got it's got to reach that point. And so, as I said, you know, I started to to talk about lions, um, and and my Twitter exchange, and you know what it comes down to is Jim Lyons. He's no conservative, and I don't think his allies are either, because if he were, and he and his allies were conservative, there's no way that they could have embraced identity politics, yet that's what they've done. And that's, like I said, that's that's tremendously insulting to the legacy, uh, to the history of the Republican Party. I mean, we have candidates now, and they're not expected to have a platform. They're not expected to explain how their experience, and if anyone like reaches out to me and says lived experience, I'll scream. I hate that. That, that doesn't even make any sense. Lived experience. What does that mean as opposed to dead experience? <laughs> it, it's experience. It implies that, you know, someone, you know, had you know, had an encounter, uh, uh, did something, something happened, but activity from someone alive. <laughs> so how can you say lived experience? It's, it, <laughs> I mean, I guess what it, you know, what those who use the term mean it as, well, this isn't anything that is professional. It's not, it's not a question of education. It's just what this person has encountered on a on a daily basis, but I still think it's a stupid expression, uh, <laughs> very stupid. Uh, but but to get back to my point, this this idea about identity politics and 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 now we have candidates that aren't expected to be able to show how the experience that they do have, how it's relevant to the office that they're seeking, and. They're not expected to to explain how they would be able to do the job based on the experience that they actually have. That's that's unacceptable. That is completely unacceptable. So step forward, Rayla Campbell. Rayla Campbell has been around now for a little over two years, actually more. So I want to say probably like two and a half years. In that time... She has not once explained how she was going to be able to carry out the responsibilities of a a congresswoman, you know, because, of course, that's what she ran for, the 7th Congressional District. She ran for that in 2020. And then after that, she decided she was going to run again. Then it became she was going to run for lieutenant governor. And then she steered towards running for secretary of state. And I just, it it doesn't matter. Congress, you know, the House of Representatives, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, she has no experience that would allow her to do any 
of you know to perform the, the the duties of any of those offices and the idea that resources were poured into this woman is it, it's it is offensive and it is shocking and it is shameful her behavior of getting into physical confrontations instigating physical confrontations using racist, anti-Semitic, and homophobic language. What an absolute disgrace this woman is. And no, not at one point in time has she said how she was going to do, how she was going to be able to perform the duties of either office. That's unacceptable. But what we kept on hearing is that she's a black woman. She's a black woman. She's a black woman. Okay, I got the memo. But how is she going to do the job? And just so the record is clear, when I stand up to do something, if I try to do something, if I do do something, I don't want people to look at me and say, oh, Rachel, that mixed race woman, that mixed race girl. No, Rachel is trying to do this. Rachel is doing this. Look at me first and foremost. If you must look at the color, fine. If you must consider that I'm Jewish, fine. But first and foremost, you should be looking at me and the experience that I have and the ideas that I have. And if I'm running for office, the platform, along with the ideas that I have and the experience, of course. It's it's just we... <laughs> We can't allow ourselves to fall prey to the the movements du jour, the 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 ideas, the 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 fleeting ideas, the ideas of the moment, the trends, where the Republican Party. You know, you also have Donnie Palmer. He's another person. And he kept on talking about, elect me because I want to be the first black Republican to go to Congress. So apparently no one ever told him about (laughs) Ed Brooke, but that's okay. Uh, And I I actually mentioned that several times, uh, actually more than just several times. And finally, he took that uh, out of his out of his Twitter bio. But it's it's just. I don't I don't know what to say. It's just it was it was it was difficult watching the Democratic Party embrace identity politics. But when you have a party that's that was formed to fight slavery, that was formed to help America fulfill its promise and that you have the founding members or the 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 first Republicans, shall I say, uh, and again, particularly the radical Republicans, when you have people such as that that were moved by the idea that these people are black, but they're people. We can't have this. This is immoral or amoral. But here we are today in the 21st century 
And we're not looking at what someone can do, what someone has done. We're just looking at the person's appearance. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. And then, of course, Jim Lyons has just been, you know, helping out people who are ally, you know, who are uh, allies of him, who are aligned with him. Now, some people might dispute that. Okay, that's fine. But it is a little bit harder to dispute the Republican Party's embrace of identity politics. And it's just, just in general, I'm just looking at the quality of the candidates. So I've talked about that as well. And I feel like in Massachusetts in particular, we're real sticklers for education and sticklers, uh, the importance of education. Uh, We take pride in having achieved different goals. We believe in hard work because that begets success. We believe in the meritocratic ideal. And I just, this past election cycle, I saw a lot of different candidates that, I I don't know, those values were not shared. And don't get me wrong, in, in this environment, it's not just Republicans who hold to the meritocratic ideal. But I think that given our history and given this particular environment, I, I would say that you would expect Republicans in particular to be very much uh, uh, very much, uh, you know, proponents, uh, very, very enthusiastic about the meritocratic ideal. You would expect them to be very much uh, in favor of this ideal, to promote it, to extol it, to uphold it. And I just didn't find that. And so for me, when I was talking, when I had this exchange with Maurice Cunningham, for me, it was very much, well, Jim Lyons has successfully framed the fighting that's going on in the party between moderates and conservatives, conservatives and moderates. That's not true. This is just a battle for power. And what Jim Lyons has done is he has marginalized those in the party that don't agree with him. You know, we're getting ready to wind down, but I just, I want to kind of throw out a few things because there's this idea that we need to move to the center. That in order to move forward, we need to be more centrist. And let me just say that being a centrist does not make you a good person. Being a moderate centrist Republican, a moderate Republican, that does not make you a good person. It doesn't. 
You know, you can be a conservative and be a good Republican. You can be a good person. You can be a well-respected member of your community. You know, Republicans want to, and, and actually this is why Jim Lyons has been able to frame this, this vicious fighting in the context of conservative versus moderates because Republicans, the, the operatives, many members of the establishment have allowed themselves to become paralyzed in this bogus paradigm. This isn't about moderates versus conservatives, conservatives versus moderates. This is just a battle for power. That's all it is. Now, to move forward, well, we need to get rid of Jim Lyons and all his people. Get rid of them all. His whole crew, goodbye. Evan Lips, the communications director. Uh, John Milligan, the political director. Wendy Wakeman, who I guess serves as Lyons' right-hand man. All of them, just beat it. Make like Michael Jackson, beat it. Uh, we need a whole new crew, whole new crew, and quite frankly, we we need to <laughs> we need to look at uh, the state committee because you know for too long we've had too many members. Even if we didn't have the problems that we currently have with the Massachusetts Republican Party, it, there's just too many members of the state committee who just really haven't been doing much of anything. And it's 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 seen more of a, as, a, as as a status thing more than anything else. And some of these same people, a lot of these same people, are supporting Jim Lyons. It's 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 enough. We we need to go in a different direction. But part of going in that different direction, part of that involves breaking out of this conservative versus moderate argument, infrastructure, paradigm, whatever you want to call it. The bottom line is you've got to know the issues. You've got to know the lay of the land. You have to know the people in a particular geographical space. And you have to be ready to offer solutions. Period. I mean, does it really matter if someone's moderate if a person doesn't know what he's talking about? Oh, great, so he's a moderate Republican, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, you've got to have something to say. And you have to be able to show that you know what you're talking about. I think you can be conservative and be open-minded. I think you can be moderate and narrow-minded. Get my point? We need a chair that's going to focus on moving the party forward. So recruiting and encouraging quality people to run for the appropriate office. And when I say the appropriate office, you could have someone who maybe has wonderful, uh, has a wonderful background, 
but if he or she were to run for a particular office, it might not be the best fit. So we need to focus on recruiting people and encouraging people who want to run, but making sure that they're running for the right position. And we have to make sure that they have support, the candidates. But we can't take take any time, any more time than we already have, and worry about whether they're conservative or moderate. We can't do that. I would say that in the weeks ahead, it's going to be very interesting because, you know, different people, there are already two people who have stepped forward and they want to run for chair. I don't think either candidate uh is going to take us to where we need to go. And please understand that we're not going to get to where we need to be uh, for quite some time because the antics, the activity of Jim Lyons and his, his team have set us back in a really big way. Again, as I said at the top of the show, any kind of red wave, let's say there had been one, <laughs> was going to like, Past Massachusetts right on by. And let me end with this. We who are conservative, and I mean, there are conservative Democrats, so I don't want to imply that just because, you know, someone's conservative, uh, he has to be a Republican. That's, that's not true. He could be a Democrat. He could be an unenrolled, you know, belong to no party. Uh, but if if you're con- but Republicans generally are even the moderate ones, even a liberal Republican will probably tend to be more conservative than you know a Democrat, uh, a moderate, and certainly a left leaning Democrat. But my point is, someone who's conservative or um, a, a Republican or a Republican leaning, we deserve to have our voices heard. And, you know, a Democrat who isn't necessarily conservative or even necessarily moderate spouting Republican talking points to stay politically alive, that, that's not fair. We deserve much better than that. And that does happen, by the way. And I'll talk a lo- little bit more about that in the weeks to come. But that's all I have time for for today. Did a lot of yapping. <laughs> as usual. Um, But I look forward to hanging out with you next week. Again, my name is Rachel Meisleman, and you've been listening to me on Bostonian Rap. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.